Thank you so much for joining us for today's podcast. We'll get started in just a moment. If this is your first time here, please consider subscribing so that you may stay up to date with the latest podcast. And if our podcast brings value to your life, please consider sharing it with family and friends. Thanks for listening. And now here's today's podcast. Thanks for joining us for the Covenant Living Broadcast with Pastor John Butler of Covenant Life Church located at 130 Atlantic Avenue in Bremen, Georgia. About that time, the disciples came to Jesus and asked, who's the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? Listen, just asking that question, you kind of figure out where Jesus is going to go with this, right? Jesus called a little child to him and put the child among them. And then Jesus said to his disciples, I tell you the truth, unless you turn from your sins, become like a little child, become like little children, you'll never get into the kingdom of heaven. Forget being the greatest. You ain't even getting in, he said. And then he said in verse 4, so anybody that wants, who becomes as humble, that's the aspect of, of childlikeness that he's looking for. Anyone who becomes as humble as this little child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. Now, we've been reading that for a few weeks. I want to also read in uh, Matthew 22 another question posed to Jesus. Teacher, which is the most important commandment in the law of Moses? Again, not a, not a question that was coming from an honest or a genuine place. It's really a gotcha question, but Jesus, you just can't get Jesus like that. Jesus replied, you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, my, uh, your soul, and your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. A second is equally important, so these two are elevated to the same level. Love your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus said the whole law, the demands of the prophets are based on these two commandments. Father, would you bless our time in the Word today? Would you give us clarity Would you help us to understand, Lord, not what we want to see, but what you intended for us to know. I pray, God, that you give us wisdom to understand and the courage to put into practice your word today. In Jesus' name, amen. We are in a series based on the passage that we just read from Matthew 18. The series is called Humility, the Key to Childlike Faith. Humility the key to childlike faith. And from this passage, we're, we're talking about the importance of humility in the kingdom of God and how detrimental is its opposite, which is pride. And Jesus makes it unequivocally clear that humility is vital for his followers. But we also just read the passage in Matthew 22, where Jesus said the most important things that we should do are love God and love others. So he, he put the emphasis just on love. Just four chapters after he said it's about humility, four chapters later he says it's all about love. As a matter of fact, in Paul's writings, he said the greatest of all the things that will last forever, the greatest of those is love. So which is it? What's the currency of the kingdom of heaven? Is it humility or is it love? Which one? It seems like Jesus is, is talking out of both sides of his mouth a little bit, a little bit maybe contradicting himself. So which one is it? I think the answer is yes. <laughs> it's both. Um, and, and we're going we're gonna to look in the scripture and see if we can discern what it is that Jesus is talking about, why it is he's talking about it. And I think you'll see the connection between the two that explains how he can say both and both be correct at the same time. 
All right. So let's go to 1 Corinthians 13. 1 Corinthians 13, we're going to read verses 4 through 8. Um, I, I would encourage you to put sort of a bookmark there because I'll also be, I've already referenced to the last verse of the chapter that the greatest of these is love, of this chapter. And in just a few minutes, I'll reference the first three verses of this chapter. So if you haven't read it or haven't read it in a while, I would encourage you to go and reread it so that you'll get this full picture. Um, love, Scripture says, is patient and kind. Love is not jealous, it's not boastful, it's not proud, it's not rude. It does not demand its own way. It is not irritable. It keeps, I'm just moving on, y'all, I'm just going to keep moving on. It's, it keeps no record of being wronged. It does not rejoice about injustice, but rejoices whenever the truth wins out. Love never gives up, it never loses faith, it's always hopeful and endures through every circumstance. Prophecy and speaking in unknown languages and special knowledge will become useless, but love will last forever. So I'd like to divide this list, this little list of attributes here, I'd like to divide it into two categories and then look at it again. One category is what love is. The other category is what love is not. Okay, so here's the first list. Love is <clears throat> patient, kind, happy when truth wins, hopeful, helpful, faithful, and committed. Okay, that's right there in the scriptures we just read. Now, love is not jealous, proud, boastful, rude, demanding, irritable, happy over injustice. Love is not a record keeper of offenses. So here's what I want you to notice. Everything that represents the opposite of love is rooted in pride. Leave the, leave the not list up there. Every one of those is rooted in pride. And now put the is list up. <clears throat> I don't think I've ever said that before. Put the is list up. Everything that love is, everything that's a description of love, is rooted in humility. So remember last week that we talked about the fact that you have to be humble to admit, come, submit, and commit, which is, which is the key to an intimate relationship with God. So w when a humble person admits they're wrong about something they rejoice that the truth wins over their own mistakes and their own flaws when a humble person commit uh, submits they are patient with each other right they're kind to each other when a humble person commits they are helpful they are hopeful they are faithful because that relationship's not disposable they're committed to it you, you, you see what I mean? On the other hand, arrogant people are rude. Arrogant people are boastful. Arrogant people demand their own way. Arrogant people tell you everything you have ever done wrong to them, but they can't seem to see a single flaw in the mirror. <clears throat> Jesus was safe in, in, in stating both the importance of love and the importance of humility because they're really the two, si two sides of the same coin. They are expressions of the character and nature of Jesus Christ. 
We talked about it in week one. We said if it isn't humble, it isn't faith. Right? We talked about that. Because faith and pride are opposites. They cannot coexist. Today I want to say this. If it isn't humble, it isn't love. If it isn't humble, it isn't love. If it's all about you, it's not love. I used to say this to my kids. They roll their eyes. Uh, they did then. They do now. Uh, but now they had their own kids, and now they're saying it, and it's driving them crazy. I, I'd tell my kids, listen, if both of y'all ain't having fun, you ain't playing. Right? Because what happens when one picks on the other and they get caught? Oh, I'm just playing. No, y'all ain't playing because that one ain't having fun. Listen, if both of y'all ain't feeling the love, it ain't love. Okay? Here's why it's important. Jesus said we have, to be, we have to humble ourselves like a child if we're ever going to even get into the kingdom of heaven. He also says that the two greatest activities of the kingdom are to love God and love others. Now, last week we talked about our vertical relationship with God and how pride prevents spiritual intimacy, which is just another way of saying loving God. Today's message is called Pride Prevents Relational Intimacy, and we're going to talk about our horizontal relationship uh, in loving others. Now, right off the bat, before I know you're guarding yourself. You're like, okay, just hit me again. Listen, there, there, there is good news. What we're going to talk about this morning will solve about 85% of your relationship issues. In whatever relationship, it was a friendship, a business relationship, what, uh, a marriage, whatever it is, about eight, I, I'm, this is my own completely unscientific poll, but based on 30 years of ministry, pride is at the root of the vast majority of relationship issues, if we ever will get honest with ourselves, okay? So, and if there's anything I think we can all agree on, it's that this world has relationship issues, Okay, I have never seen so much hate and division in my life. Never seen so many lonely people. Never seen so many angry people, depressed people, divided homes, divided families, divided churches. We're in a divided nation, or at least that's, the, that's what's being portrayed and promoted in the media. I, I truly believe that the key to restoring the love, the key to restoring relational intimacy is humility. And we're going to explore that today. So first of all, maybe the question is arising in your, in your mind. Why should we be so concerned about everybody else? As long as we're good with God, like why do all these other people matter in the first place? All right? So here's what Jesus said about it in John 17. John 17, Jesus said, I'm, I'm praying not only for these disciples, so like those 11 that are praying, supposed to be praying with him in the garden, uh, but also for all who will ever believe in me through their message. So that's every believer ever. He's praying for them. And here's what he's praying. I pray that they will all be one, just as you and I are one. He's talking to God, just like Jesus and God are one. As you are in me, Father, and I am in you, and may they be in us so that the world will believe you sent me. Jesus prayed on the last night of his human life on this earth that all of those who believe in Jesus would be one. Unified 
under the blood-stained banner of Jesus Christ. As much one with each other as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Isn't that what he said, or am I taking it too far? That's, that's what he said. If, if, if what Jesus described is not intimacy, if that's not love, then I don't know, I don't know what love is. How we relate with other people is just as much a part of our Christian faith as our relationship with Jesus. As a matter of fact, they can't be separated. They are, they are inseparable. I want you to look at a couple more passages. 1 John chapter 4. We're going to read three, uh, four scriptures there in 1 John 4. Uh, but anyone who does not love does not know God. For God is love. He gets uh, maybe more offensively honest in these three verses, uh, in verse 19 of the same chapter. Dear children, keep away from anything. Uh, so that's, verse, that's chapter 5. Let's look at, at chapter 4 of uh, 1 John. I don't know if you can make that switch up there that fast. And my glasses are in my bag. So this might be fun, y'all. I might be about to rewrite the Bible here in front of God and everybody. Um, 1 John 4 uh, and, and verse 19, we love each other because he first loved us. If someone says, I love God, but hates a Christian brother or sister, that person is a liar. I didn't misread that, did I? Isn't that what that says? For if we don't love God, who we uh, love people who we can see, how can we love God whom we can't see? And he's given us this command, those who love God must also love their Christian brothers and sisters. Romans 5 and verse 5, the last half of this verse, it's a transitional verse, so I wanted you to read Romans 5 and 5. Um, let me go back to the, to the written word here instead of the digital word, which hopefully is the same thing. All right, Romans 5 and 5 says, um, and the last half, for we know how dearly God loves us because he's given us, listen, he's given us the Holy Spirit to fill our hearts with his love. He's given us the Holy Spirit to fill our hearts with his love. Listen, that's, that is religion-rattling stuff right there. It's not just about what we do on the outside. There has to be something that's going on on the inside. Not to mention that we've already read that Jesus said in the same breath, you have to love God and love others. So here's the conclusion that we have to draw. If your love for Jesus doesn't bleed over into your love for other people, the Bible says you don't just have a problem with people, you have a problem with Jesus. Because where there's Jesus, there is his spirit. And the scripture in Romans just said that God's love gets placed in our hearts by his spirit. Where Jesus is present there in, a, in someone's life, there is love. If you don't have love for other people, you've either been wounded to the point that you're numb, or according to this scripture, you may not have even been saved. Is that a reach, or is that what the Word says? Now, we've been called to the Great Commission, to go everywhere and, pre and, and make disciples, right? Here's the problem. 
the way we treat each other is speaking so loud and so clear to the world around us, the people that we're supposed to be reaching, that they don't want any part of us. And they sure don't want to hear about our Jesus. It's one of the core values here at Covenant Life. It's on the wall in the lobby. It's on the website. And I pray that it's in our hearts and in our habits too. But how you treat people matters. How you treat people matters. John, I thought this was supposed to be about childlike faith and humility. It is. Like who loves people more than children? Children, until we get a hold of them and teach them prejudice and teach them all this stuff. Children love everybody, right? They don't care. They love everybody. It's pride that drives hate. It's pride that divides us. It's pride that separates us. But Jesus is still calling for unity and for love and for intimacy among his people. Our relationship with others is part of our walk with Jesus. And just like pride will prevent spiritual intimacy with Jesus, pride also prevents relational intimacy as well. But wait, there's more. If that's not sobering enough, there's one more relationship that goes a step further. Our love for others isn't just for the people who are afar off, people who are out there. It's maybe more important for those who are closest to us. Ephesians chapter 5, verses 31 through 33. As the scriptures say, man leaves his father and mother and is joined to his wife and the two are united into one. He's quoting uh, Genesis there. So uh, this is a great mystery, but it is an illustration of, of the way Christ and the church are one. What's he talking about? Marriage. Marriage is a great mystery. You can say that again. But it is an Sorry, that just came out. Uh, it's an illustration. Marriage is an illustration of the way Christ and the church are one. So I say again, each man must love his wife as he loves himself, and the wife must respect her husband. If you're married, or if you're ever planning to get married, you need to under, or even if you're not, you need to understand that the marriage relationship has been chosen by God Himself over every other relationship to illustrate to the world the relationship of Christ and His church. <laughs> and all the married people in the house said, What? <laughs> what? Yeah, it's that important. It's that important. You mean tell me my marriage is connected to the kingdom of God? Yep. You mean tell me that what happens between my spouse and me has spiritual consequences? Yep. Look at 1 Peter chapter 3. 1 Peter 3, in the same way, you, you wives must accept the authority of your husbands. Then if you re, Even if some husbands refuse to obey the good news, your godly lives will speak to them without any words. They'll be won over by observing your pure and reverent lives. How you, how you conduct yourself inside your, uh, your marriage has spiritual ramifications for your husband. That's what those first two verses say. Now let's look at verse 7 in the same chapter. In the same way, you husbands must give honor to your wives. You know, I thought we were supposed to keep them under submission. 
you must give honor to your wives. Treat your wife with understanding as you live together. She may be weaker than you are physically, as he's talking about, but she is your equal partner in God's gift of new life. Please see see the result result of that. Um, Treat her as you should so your prayers will not be hindered. There is an inseparable link between the horizontal and the vertical. There's an inseparable link between how we treat people and the kingdom of God. It's love God and love others, and that has to happen in tandem. It cannot be one or the other. If people are going to understand the kingdom of God and how it operates, then they will learn it by watching how we treat each other, especially how husbands and wives treat each other. Are are y'all grasping the gravity of this today? Listen, it's not about how much money you give. It's not about how often you serve. It's not about how many times you go to church each month. It's not about how much you fast, how much you pray, how many times you have private devotional time in a week. It's not about any of the external trappings of Christianity. Those are important, so don't misunderstand me. But it means nothing if you don't have a godly, humble love for each other, particularly and especially in our marriages. And enemy number one in our marriages and really every other relationship is pride. Pride prevents relational intimacy. Now, let's go back to, uh, to our three-pronged test for intimacy that we talked about a few minutes ago. And we talked about at length last week, admit, submit, commit. And let's think about these in terms of loving each other the way God calls us to love each other. So we'll, we'll start with admit first. Let's look at James chapter 5, verse 16. James 5 and 16, confess your sins the, the first part, so we know the last part of this verse, the, the, the effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much, okay? The, the, here's the first half of that. Confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. And we've talked about that in, in the past. Sometimes what's standing in the way of our healing is our uh, willingness to be honest with each other, okay, about our faults and flaws and sins. I want you also to read Galatians chapter 6, verses 2 and 3. Share each other's burdens, and in this way, obey the law of Christ. If you, I love this verse, if you think you're too important to help someone, you're only fooling yourself. If Paul was from South Israel, it'd be, you ain't that important. Okay, that's what it says. But you see the mutuality of the intimate relationship there. We, We confess to each other. I've got, I admit that I've sinned or that I've got burdens that I need help bearing. You admit that you've sinned and you've got burdens that need to be, that you need help bearing. It's mutual. It's a matter of honest disclosure of our own flawed humanity. It's not covering up my, our mistakes. It's not me trying to, trying to snow you about, about my mistakes or my flaws. It's owning them. It's just like, yep, I'm a mess. And I need some help, right? But listen, it's, I, I'm not saying you revel in those either. 
I'm not saying be proud of your sin. To be, I'm not saying be proud of your flaws or your failures. I'm just saying stop being so stinking sensitive about somebody finding out you're not perfect. Because the only person who will be surprised by your imperfection is you. Everybody else already saw it like as soon as you walked in the room. One of the biggest indicators, so we're talking about admitting, admitting. One of the biggest indicators of spiritual maturity and humility is the ability to admit that you've wronged somebody. I saw a a tweet this week. um, Heather, I think it was from your sister that she retweeted something and it said something to this effect I, 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 your sister-in-law you ain't got a sister you. Uh, I, I see you can I see you can sing this is what the tweet said I see you can sing shout dance preach and speak in tongues but can you apologize I screenshotted that y'all it's like floating around on my phone forever like because I don't care what your spiritual ability and gifting is 1 Corinthians says, it does not matter what spiritual gifts you have. If you don't have love, then those things don't mean anything to God or anybody else. It's what it says. And if you can't muster enough love to apologize, then eventually the fruit of your life is going to sour on the vine. I hear people say, oh, I'm a grown man. You a grown man, but you can't bring yourself to say I'm sorry to your wife or to your child when you've done something wrong? Oh, I'm a strong, independent woman. But, but you can't bring yourself to own what you did wrong in the relationship? Maybe we've got two different definitions of what it means to be grown. Maybe we got two different definitions of what it means to be strong, what it means to be mature, what it means to be a follower of Jesus Christ. It takes humility to admit that you're wrong. Galatians said, you think you're too important to participate in this mutual confession? Then you're full of pride because you're not that important. Pride will puff you up. Uh, puff you up right before it brings you crashing down. The apostle Paul said, you better be careful when you think you stand because you're about to fall. Be careful when you think you're perfect. Be careful when you think you got by with it because your imperfections are about to be revealed to the world. One of my frequent prayers is, Lord, search me, show me my flaws, Reveal it to me before you have to reveal it in me. Because I'd like to deal with my mess, just me and the Lord, if that's possible. I don't need everybody in the world going, yeah, that boy's got some things he's got to get right. If If you're a follower of Jesus, please make no mistake. He disciplines his own. He disciplines his own. Humble yourself and admit you're wrong to God and to anybody else you've wronged. It's not a sign of weakness. It's a sign of strength and maturity. Because the reality is if you love somebody and you value the relationship that you have, if you've done something to hurt them, you should want to apologize so you can restore the relationship. 
say, well, John, what if I apologize for something for, uh, that I've done, but they don't apologize for what they've done? <laughs> somebody got to go first. Somebody has to establish the habit and the discipline of apology in the relationship. Well, what if I'm not certain that I'm in the wrong? <laughs> y'all, y'all played that game? I'm not sure it's me. Well, let me ask you this. Are you sure they're hurt? Are you sure the relationship is damaged? Then put your pride aside and apologize anyway. Because being right will be of little consequence when you're alone. Here's the second one. Submit. Submit. That was admit. This is submit. Philippians 2 and 3. Uh, Paul said, don't be selfish. Don't try to impress others. Be humble, thinking of others as better than yourselves. Ephesians 5 and 21. And further, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Do you know that scripture in, in, in Ephesians? I love to read that because it, that, that's the scripture right before the more famous verse about wives, submit yourself to your husband. The scripture that comes immediately before that says submit to each other. And then it starts to break down what mutual submission looks like in the marriage relationship. Okay, But all of the male preachers in the last 400 years or so, at least, ha- have beat up verse 22 and excluded verse 21. Submit to each other. It's a command to all believers about all other believers. Submit to each other. Consider other people better than yourself. Now, there's a, that's a mind-changing, that's a life-changing paradigm shift right there. Consider everybody you meet better than yourself. Pride tells you you always have to be right. Pride tells you you always have to be first, always have to get your way, always have to come out on top. But the way of humility, the way of love is submission. Let me ask you this. I, I'm going to be uh, like real gentle here, I think. Many, how many arguments have started in your relationships over something that didn't even matter? It didn't even matter. That either one of you could have just said, yeah, you might be right, let's just do that. And it would have been over. I'm not saying you, you become a doormat. I'm not saying you never stand up for for something important that you believe in. I'm just saying if you have to win every argument, if you have to make every decision, if you have to be the smartest person in every room, if you have to have the last word on everything, then you need to learn to submit. Submission expresses love. It expresses respect, and it's a demonstration of your humility. Because... This is going to be less gentle. People who always have to get their way are perceived, and rightfully so, as proud and arrogant, right? And it gets in the way of the kingdom of heaven. No one ever said, you dominated every decision, but I see how Jesus loves his church. Nobody ever said, you manipulated every circumstance to please yourself, but the light of Jesus just radiates from your life. Nobody ever said you made every conversation about yourself. You criticized every person who thought differently than you do, but I saw the touch of the divine in your life, and I want to know more about Jesus. 
Nobody ever said, you are always an arrogant jerk, but I see Jesus in you. Nobody. Jesus submitted himself to the rulers and the restrictions of this world for the good of his bride. Jesus didn't come to earth because it was good for him. He came because it was good for us and because he loved us and he valued the relationship with us. If our lives are going to reflect our Savior, if we're going to get our horizontal relationships right, we have to learn to submit to each other out of love and humility. Here's the last one, commit. Let me talk to the married folks for a minute. And before I start, let me say this. I understand there are abusive relationships. And, and what I'm about to say is not to them or about them. Okay? Hear me clearly. If you are in an abusive relationship, if you're being abused, get yourself and your kids and get somewhere safe. Period. Say, but God don't like divorce. God don't like people beating up each other either. All right? So get somewhere safe, and if you don't know how to do that, contact us and we will help you. So I just I know what I'm about to say doesn't apply to everybody equally, but for most of us married couples, let me say this. Y'all need to close the back door. Y'all need to close and lock the windows. Too many married people got too many options. Too many clauses, too many loopholes, too many plan Bs, too many internal conversations that start with, well, if this doesn't work out. Our marriages are supposed to demonstrate to the world the love that Christ had for his church. So let me ask you two real simple questions. Was Jesus committed to his church? Philippians 2, just two, two verses in Philippians 2, verses 7 and 8. It says, instead, Jesus gave up his divine privileges. He took the humble position of a slave, was born as a human being when he appeared in human form. He humbled himself in obedience to God and died a criminal's death on a cross. The cross answered that question. He was committed all the way to Calvary. Here's a second question. Was there a plan B? No. Jesus was the only way. It had to be him. It had to be then or we'd be lost forever. He was the only sacrifice for our sins, the only way to provide a way back to a right relationship with God. So let me ask you this. Where is that kind of commitment in your marriage? Where are the men who will stand up and say, it's been rocky and we've got problems, but I'm not going anywhere? Where are the women who will say, I don't know what the future is going to look like. I'm just telling you, we're going to figure it out together. True love commits. True love locks in. It's pride that tells you, you better leave your options open. It's pride that says, if you stay with, with her, you might not get everything you want. It's pride that says, you can do better with another guy. 
Listen, when you said, I do, it's no longer about me or you. It's about us. It's a covenant commitment. Listen, you don't even get to the good stuff in your marriage until you've weathered some storms where leaving was a real temptation. Did y'all hear me? So, like, if you've been married a, a, a week and a half, don't tell me how wonderful marriage is yet, okay? You say, John, it sounds like you're speaking from experience. Listen, you don't get to 30 years of marriage without going through some seasons where you're not sure you're going to see the next anniversary together. Some seasons where you think, it's not supposed to be this hard. You know what gets you through? Commitment. Commitment. Not the fleeting emotional high of, of infatuation. It's a deep love that expresses itself in a humble, submitted, self-sacrificing commitment that values us more than I. <clears throat> Valerie told me this week, she loves it when I, when I say this, um, but a few years ago I started saying, hey, I'm Team Valerie. Like, I don't care what the contest is. I don't care what's going on. I'm Team Valerie. Like, you know what I'm saying? I, I, I know this, I, I'm telling her, I know this is hard right now, but I'm on your side. I, I know it feels like we're up against the wall right now, but we're going to tear it down together. Right? I know it feels like something's come between us, but I'm telling you, whatever it is, it's our common enemy, and we're going to defeat it or remove it together right like some of y'all need to grab your spouse by the face like gently gently by the face and say I'm not going anywhere push me shove me as hard as you need to but I'm not leaving you we decided at the beginning of our marriage that we would not even say the word divorce started to say the D word, but I didn't want y'all to get all upset about stuff. So we weren't even going to say divorce. And, and, we, and we've, for the most part in 30 years, stuck to it. One time, one time during an argument, we said the word. And that argument was just the last in a series, <laughs> in a season of arguments. And it scared both of us to death. And we realized we needed to get some things right. And we started to humble ourselves to each other. We started to repent. We started to commit to our marriage and working on our own issues. Quit looking at each other's flaws and look in the mirror first. And things started to improve really, really quickly. But if you allow pride to continue, it'll erode your commitment and everything falls apart. Love God. Love people. With, a, with, with the humble love that Jesus had for us. Listen, this has got lots of applications, not just, not just marriage. But if we're going to make it as a church and really make the impact on this community and on this world that I think God is calling us to, it's going to take commitment to the vision. 
It's going to take a commitment to making it work, to admitting when we're wrong, to submitting our own individual preferences and opinions, and considering other people more important than ourselves. If your friendships are going to work, if your business relationships are going to work, there has to be a commitment. Obviously not a till death do us part kind of thing, but there has to be a shared commitment or you'll never reach the level of satisfaction or in in business you'll never reach a level of productivity until there's commitment. The Holy Spirit puts the love of God in our hearts, in every believer's heart. Because that love for others is what testifies of Christ's love for us. It's a humble love. But that's how the kingdom operates. So let me ask you this as we close today. How are your horizontal relationships? How are you with loving others? It's, it's a spiritual issue. It is of utmost importance to God. Uh, importance to God. You can't push it aside. In submission to the Holy Spirit, let me challenge you to ask Him to show you the areas that you need to change. Our marriage got a hundred times better. I'm just making up numbers now. It just got 133% better when I quit praying about Valerie's issues and started praying about mine. I said, Lord, she's yours. (laughs) She needs to be fixed. Fix her. But that's not my business. Fix me. Fix me first. Right? So what is it that might be standing in your way? Is it admitting your faults and flaws? Is it learning how to say you're sorry? Is it forgiveness of other people? Is it submission to each other like you always got to come out on top? What is that about? Are you more committed to yourself than you are to your marriage, to your friendship, to your team? Let's get the vertical and the horizontal right. Loving God, loving others in a humble, childlike faith. Won't you stand with me, please? They're going to sing a song. We're going to you to come and pray. It can be about this. It can be about anything that's going on in your life. So don't assume that if you come to the altar, people go think your marriage is falling apart or you're an arrogant jerk. And just don't worry about all that. You come and get along with God. If you need to pray about a financial issue, about a, a physical need, about whatever it is, just come and pray. If the Lord draws you to this altar, I believe he's going to meet you here. So let's do that. Father, in the name of Jesus, we just thank you opportunity to be in your house today. We thank you, Lord, for your word. I thank you that you love us enough to get up in our business so that we can experience your best. We can experience right relationships and we can demonstrate to the world what your love looks like for your people. I pray that you draw people to this altar, Lord, and meet them here, meet every need as we humble ourselves before you. And God, would you give us the courage and the strength to face ourselves in the mirror of your word and the humility, God, to repent and to change. In Jesus' name, amen. 
pray that you have been blessed and inspired by today's Covenant Living broadcast. To find out more information about our ministry, just visit our website at www.covenantlifewestga.org. You can find this video there on our homepage. Just click the YouTube button and make sure you subscribe to our YouTube channel. Give us a call at 770-537-3747. That's 770-537-3747. At Covenant Life, our mission is to go and make disciples by being real, relational, and reaching. Be sure to join us next week for more Covenant Living with Pastor John Butler.